You're listening to Auto D coming at you live. Best which way, what, when, how? Mr. Auto D flip the track right now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in on this lovely spring Monday evening here in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am your host, Otto Daniolo, broadcasting from the Star Worldwide Network Studios. I'd like to thank Ed Vanderley and all of the behind-the-scenes support staff here at Star Worldwide for the excellent job they do by providing this, flat, excuse me, this platform and location. I'm thankful for all of you guys and the professionalism you bring to the job day in and day out. Kudos to you, my friends. And today, my guest is author Salva Rubio, who is joining us from Barcelona, Spain, via Skype, and just happens to be a big fan of metal music. I know, a guy born in Spain and living in Spain who proclaims to have once been a diehard fan of the Tampa Bay death metal scene. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty awesome. Uh, so tonight, I'm opening the show with uh, some pretty heavy stuff. This is, from, this is for you, Salva. This is a record I recorded at my own recording studio for Roadrunner Records a number of years ago by a band called Soulfly. This is a tune titled Downstroy. Listening to Auto D coming at you live. 
And that was Downstroy by Soulfly here on the Auto D Show, where I am your host, Otto Daniolo. And tonight my guest is screenwriter, novelist, essayist, and graphic novel writer Salva Rubio, who has recently released a new book entitled Save the Cat Goes to the Indies. So uh, without further delay, welcome to the show, Salva. How are you doing? Thank you, Otto, and hi to you and to all your listeners. Well, yeah, and thanks for taking the time to join me tonight. Well, thank you for having me on the air tonight. Yeah, now, uh, congratulations on the new book, and I understand this isn't your first book. No, actually, I've uh, released a few books on very varied subjects. I have, uh, like, three novels, two of which are adaptations. I have a graphic novel just out, recently out, and... uh, Yes, and I also have uh, two essays about metal music. Uh, I, yeah. But I must thank you for <laughs> this, this song. Are you familiar <laughs> with that great. band? Sorry? Are you familiar with that band, Soulfly? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, the, I used to, to listen to Sepultura. Uh-huh. Uh, like uh, the singer from Soulfly was the singer in Sepultura. Right. Max, and, Max is a dear uh, friend of mine. He lives them, here in town. I, sorry? Max is a dear friend of mine. He lives here in town. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I happen to know that uh, you are in Phoenix, right? Yes. Okay. I happen to know that there are a few metal bands which live in Phoenix. Yeah. Like maybe Megadeth and Slayer. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, they all retired into the desert, I think. They like the the weather. Okay. (laughs) But I had, yeah, I had an opportunity to work with Max and Sepultura and then again uh, with Soulfly working on their... Uh, Soulfly Three record, and then a few other little projects with them. And Max is a is a great guy, and, and they were they were all wonderful to work with. Really, really great guys. But I understand that you also wrote. Uh, did you write a book on metal music, or just a couple essays? I wrote two books on metal music. Oh, okay. The first one in 2011. It's well, it's, it's published only in Spain right now. Mm-hmm. It's called Extreme Metal, and it's uh, also a 600 page volume. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. on uh, death metal, black metal, industrial metal, whatever. And I'm pretty happy, actually, with, with that book. It's been very good to me. There's a band out of Germany um, that was really big in, in Germany. And then um, the lead singer uh, moved to Uruguay and came to America to make his first uh, one of his solo records, which I did with him a few years back. And his name is Matt Rohr, and the band's name was something like the Evil Uncles, but I can't translate it into Germany. Are you familiar? <laughs> are you familiar with that band? Not with this band. Okay, good. they played like traditional heavy metal, or, or it very was very rock. yeah, it was fairly traditional, but it was in German. It was not in English. Okay, then it's it's fairly normal that I'm not uh, familiar because traditional heavy metal is not really my field. I'll send you a copy. Oh, wow! Thank you. I think you might enjoy it. But uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about music before we get too much into the new book. We'll get to, we'll get to that. But as far as music goes, since you are you know a big fan, I wondered if um, <clears throat> you find yourself when you're writing a screenplay, are you hearing music ideas? Do you think about songs? Well, sometimes songs uh, give you an ambience. They give you themes. They give you images. Uh, when I am actually writing. I don't have music because I need the silence. I need the concentration. Mm-hmm. But as you know, writing is the, the writing of the screenplay, the actual final script writing is, is basically the last part of the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I am getting research, whenever I am 
writing about characters, writing their backgrounds, or writing the plot or, or the structure. I listen to a lot of music. Um, I'm very varied, not, not, not only metal, but right. soundtracks or jazz. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wondered, often people mention they prefer silence, but then again, because music creates such a mood, sometimes it's interesting to set the stage, you know, uh, from a mood point of view emotionally as you're as you're writing too. I think that's interesting. But I was also wondering if you've ever had the opportunity to be the music supervisor on a project. Um, no. Or if that's Not something that, that you remember. have an interest, do you have an interest in that uh, for films? Yeah, yeah, I would do this, do that. If I were to direct a film, which may happen in the future, I don't know, I would definitely uh, be very happy to, to play with this part of the creative process, indeed. You mentioned in an email to me that you refer to metal music as the warrior's music and, and uh, that it helps you to kind of keep your focused in high spirits, but that you also listen to a lot of jazz music. Yes, and so yes, I'll, yes. Outside of work, maybe I thought you could share with me the role music plays in your life. Cool. Uh, I didn't get that. Do you want me to talk yeah, about well, that Yeah, well, I mean, now? besides, I'm, I've been referencing music and work, but yeah, but I just thought maybe you could tell me, do you listen to music regularly? Is it part of your regular life? Yeah, of course. Uh, for me, it's like a two-situation, two two-scenario thing. Uh, first, when I'm walking the streets, when I'm going somewhere, mm-hmm. I need metal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I need uh, that that action. I need that power. I I just love to to walk the streets, even day and night. Uh, I'm feeling all the the power it gives you. It's, it's very powerful music. But at home, I may listen to to whatever. Like mm-hmm. uh, when it's at night, when I am uh, just researching, I may have some jazz. Mm-hmm. And my crazy time for music is actually when I'm cooking, I will just dial anything and let anything sound. So so it gets fun and unexpected. Mm-hmm. That sounds fantastic. And I understand that you recently took up the trumpet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I've played guitar like for 15 years. Uh-huh. I say I'm not a very good <laughs> guitar player. But I do it for the fun because it's it's uh, fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since I've been listening to more and more uh, jazz, uh, I decided that uh, an opportunity to understand the music better, you know, because sometimes jazz sounds so fast, uh, it's almost gibberish. But uh, trying to learn about it, about the time signatures, about the, the key the music is in, about the chords, Mm-hmm. It's helping me understand it better. That's interesting. And and picking the trumpet, I think uh, your first first month on the trumpet, you really can feel it in your lip, can't you? Oh yes. yes I, yes, I grew up. Trumpet was one of the first instruments I played as well. So I thought I'd bring mine in today. Maybe we could both play, but I chose not to. <laughs> <laughs> I've been playing for such a little time. It, it would be a bad idea. It would be fun. <laughs> it would be fun. But uh, and I also understand uh, from your earlier communications that you you um, consider understanding jazz better as a life goal. Oh yeah, I mean uh, when one gets into jazz, because mm-hmm. I've gotten like uh, I've always listened to it, like okay background music, but at some point you realize that there is so much going on uh, in jazz and in jazz history that it becomes basically fascinating. And I think it's one of those kinds of music that 
gets a lifetime to to really appreciate and understand like every high form of art uh, when you get older when you uh, get wiser you discover new things mm -hmm. about it mm -hmm. so i'm happy about that yeah that's exciting. And I think it might be interesting to see your, your life into jazz music here, if that infiltrates your writing. You may find yourself uh, picking one of these guys to write a story about. Yeah, sure. There are so many fascinating lives in jazz. Mm -hmm. uh, it's such a powerful uh, time in, in image-wise, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's, that would really be something <laughs> yeah okay. well so I, I, yeah oh go ahead go ahead no i i cannot talk about uh this a lot but uh, i've uh, i am negotiating with a french publisher to write the story to to write a graphic novel about one of uh, f the, the main french music stars of uh, of the 20th century awesome uh, breaking news so, here on the auto d show <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah, Con yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about it because I love uh, these guys' music, but I really can't talk about it much. Well, that's okay. <laughs> we'll check back in with you later. But um, let's let's back up a little bit, and, and before we get into the current book and what's going on, I'm interested, where, where were you actually born? I was born in Madrid. Okay. And did you uh, live there most of your young life, or where are you now? Now you're in Barcelona yeah. area, correct? Yeah, right now I'm in Barcelona, but uh, I've lived a pretty stable life. Uh, most of the, my time, I spent it in, in, in nearby Madrid in a small city, mm -hmm. small town. And right now I'm in Barcelona, which is a very exciting city, full of life and energy. Uh, so I'm really happy. I think, I don't know if you've been in Barcelona for, for me. It must be like L.A. of Spain, mm. I think so. <laughs> Okay. So that's exciting. And now when you were uh, when you were born and growing up in Madrid, how, how old were you when you left Madrid? Actually, a couple of years ago. Oh, so you went, really you went to, so you grew up and went through school and everything. When you were when you were little, uh, were you in a large family or any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a brother and I have my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. um, but for us, it's pretty normal. I mean, in Spain is a big country in Europe. Mm -hmm. Small country when you uh, compare it to the U.S., but our our tradition, our customs is to keep family very close. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not really normal to to get away uh, from family. I mean, lots of people do it, but I know it's, it's in like, the states. Yeah. It seems that um, I mean, I'm I'm one of seven brothers and sisters, and and we moved all over the. All of us were from Illinois, a state in the center of the country, and none of us live there. We all moved all over the place. And so getting together gets to be quite impossible. I think it's neat when the family can kind of stay in a certain area. Um, and yeah. then I wondered as well, are you, uh, anyone else in the family uh, involved in the arts? Actually, no. So you're the, I come you're the from one. a pretty uh, humble family. I don't know if, if you can say it like that in English, but uh, mm -hmm. no, no, I'm the only one. I'm like the black sheep, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you stumble into your interest? How, when did you become aware that you were interested in writing? Well, actually, uh, I was a pretty avid reader when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I always remember that when I was a kid, my mom would take me shopping. Mm -hmm. and I would ask her for toys. And she would say, you know, I, I'm not getting you any toy, but if you want any book, I'll buy it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> 
So that was a good education, I think, because then at least I could get a, a, a book. And of course, when you read a lot of books, you start loving those, those worlds, those universes. And at some point, the idea of writing starts forming in your mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when, what was the first thing that you really wrote with the intention of creating um, a product that wasn't a school assignment? With, with an, was it an article for a publication, or what was your first piece? Actually, it was a screenplay. Because oh, okay. at some point in my life, uh, you know, I studied art, arts history, mm -hmm. which is great because uh, you learn so much. Uh, but uh, it's not practical. <laughs> it's not uh, like a job. So I decided to do something else, but related with the arts. And then I, I decided that I could get a better lifestyle. I could, uh, well, um, I could, it could be funnier to write screenplays and to get involved with the cinema industry. Mm -hmm. Then I started, that, that's actually how this book started, because I started working for a production company as a screenplay analyst. And uh, I thought, well, I think if I work enough, enough if I learn enough, I can uh, actually do something with this. I can write a screenplay. And actually, my first screenplay ended up as a finalist in, in an important contest here. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was like a confirmation, like, okay, uh, I, can do I think I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. With ending up with your first screenplay as a finalist in a competition with other screenwriters, that's awesome. So yeah. how, how many years ago was that? This was in 2010. Okay, so that was your first screenplay in 2010. Yeah. My friend, you have had a speedy career so far. You've, you've done well. You're doing good. <laughs> that's, well, I think because, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you too, growing up in Europe, I mean, maybe I'm just fascinated with this as well as your career, but uh, in America, it's a, my experience is it's a very different life. Uh, and I wonder if you felt um, you were more, had more exposure to the arts in general in, in your life growing up than you think American uh, teens do or youth do. Well, I couldn't really say that because I haven't lived there. I've mm -hmm. been just visiting. Mm -hmm. But uh, I studied, as I, as I said, I studied art history, and that put me in touch with uh, much more art and culture than uh, the average Spaniard also, mm -hmm. not only the average American. Uh, but surely uh, you end up knowing the life of many artists and, and knowing their works, and then the the urge to create is stronger. Yeah, have you, and have you? I would imagine you spent a lot of time traveling all over Europe in your life. Well, not a lot, not but uh, uh, I've done my share of traveling through Europe. I've only been in the in the U.S. once, but uh, where did you where did you visit in the U.S.? Uh, I was in New York in January. Mm -hmm. Oh, just recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you enjoy it? Oh, a lot. I mean, uh, New York for a foreigner is that place in which so many novels, so many, so much literature, so many, mm -hmm. or so much music has happened. So it was like being in a huge uh, movie set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing place. Did you have an opportunity to take in a Broadway show? Uh, sorry, what the? Um, the theaters on Broadway, you know, the famous theater productions. Yeah, Did you yeah, have an yeah. opportunity to go to one of the shows on Broadway while you were in New York? 
No, I was there for just a few days, and mm-hmm. it was impossible. Uh, okay. uh, so I, I basically walked. I love walking. Yeah, there's a lot. I, of, it's better <laughs> than driving in New York. You're yeah, like walking around. Well, that's exciting. Uh, for me, I like to to see the shows in Broadway, and I I, I really enjoy eating good food. And in New York, you can mm. eat really well, so you probably ate well. But in Europe, you can eat well. And it sounds like since you're a cook, you have a you have an interest in good food as well. Uh, well, here, I mean, the food is amazing. The Spanish food, we have the Mediterranean diet. Uh-huh. And it's based, as you know, on vegetables, which I love, and fruits. Uh-huh. And uh, so we love to cook, and especially we love to eat all together, as, as much people as possible. <laughs> I know. I think it's, that's one of the things I love about Italy. I've been to Italy a few times, being my, my, you know, my family is from Italy. And every time you go see anyone, whether you've met them or not, when you come into their home, they put out the food, you know, and you, you just eat all day long. And I kind of like that approach. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, in Spain, we have uh, something. I think it's, it's a word that is not in other languages. Uh-huh. It's called sobremesa. It means above the table. And it's a custom we have that, okay, we eat. It's like a kind of party. And then instead of uh, just going, we, we stay at the table talking, mm-hmm. with coffee, and maybe drinking, and then we stay for one hour, two hours, three hours, and then comes the time for dinner. We, we rise from the table, we cook dinner, we come back from the table, we keep talking. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I think it's wonderful. We don't, yeah. we don't approach it that way here in America very often. Well, listen, I want to get to your book, but before we talk about the book, let's talk a little bit about how you got into this business. I know we mentioned uh, your school. We mentioned yeah. the contest in 2010, but uh, you've done a lot of script review. Um, you've written mm-hmm. a lot of things, so um, I'd like to kind of get to, uh, I guess, through your history and experience in filmmaking and screenwriting so far. So I guess if you'd like a more pointed question, uh, your new book, Save the Cat, uh, Goes to the Indies, is actually part of, a, in a sense, an extension of an original work or a series and uh, by Blake Snyder. And I thought maybe you could tell me a little bit about the original Save the Cat and, and kind of what a beat sheet is for people who may not know. Yeah, sure. Uh, I can tell you, and I can tell you my story along with it. Oh, please. Because please. I, yeah, I... Actually, knew about the existence of this book back, I think it was in 2007 or 2008. And uh, for me, it was a game changer because, well, Blake Snyder was a, a screenwriter mm-hmm. uh, from LA. He was specialized in family films. And uh, during his life, he started to develop a few uh, funny um concepts uh, which were very much self-explaining like for example save the cat the title of the book a save the cat moment as defined by blake is the moment when the main character of a story does something nice for other people at mm-hmm. the beginning so we instantly kind of like him or empathize with her so uh, it gives you an advantage as a, as a screenwriter to know this because one of the reasons scripts get uh, rejected is because uh, the readers or the analysts think that uh, you don't uh, empathize enough with the main character. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he developed further these, these uh, concepts. Uh, he developed a tool called the beat sheet, which is a small list of beats, that is of moments that must happen in a film, mm-hmm. which make it 
way uh, easier to a structure because, mm -hmm. as you know, structure is like the big problem in, in, in screenplay writing. Mm -hmm. So he made it so much easier. Yeah, and when you uh, mentioned that he, he didn't really design this thing in the sense that he more recognized it in work and then defined it so that people could see it, correct? Yeah, that's, I think that's what he always said. I mean, he developed a method, it's called Save the Cat, but of course he was basing his work or his theories in uh, hundreds of films that we've uh, seen. Right. But we're not uh, initiated, so we don't recognize these, these moments until he teaches us to, to see them. And that, what we try to do with the new book. Yeah, and that Save the Cat moment in the film, uh, it's amazing how many times, if you haven't heard the phrase or you aren't aware of the, of the event happening uh, for a film, you, it just goes by and you don't realize the power of it. And once you're aware of it and then you see it in the beginning of the film, you realize that is why you really are endeared to that character. And I think ever since I be, have become aware of the concept, I noticed that moment in the film, whereas before the moment was just another moment. So it's, it's interesting yeah. the impact it has on you. Yeah, that's why I think this, this book is not only for screenwriters. I think it's for film appreciation mm -hmm. because it's like uh, knowing a bit more about music, uh, then you appreciate the songs much more, or knowing a bit more about uh, color theory then you go to an exhibition and you cannot understand better what the artist is doing, so you enjoy it more. With cinema, it's the same. Uh, if you recognize the technique or, or what the authors, what the director or the writer are doing, you cannot understand it, enjoy it better, and you can appreciate it more. Mm -hmm. And as a concept, as a method, the Save the Cat method, you describe in your book that it's not only a method for film, but that the same method can be used in many formats, and, and including artsy European comic books, which is something I think you've been involved in. <laughs> well, I'm saying that because I've just, I've just uh, released a graphic novel about Claude Monet, the French painter, mm -hmm. and I applied the, this method to my writing. And it's like in film, it's actually you're, you're telling a story, so you must help people understand how to uh, read that story, and you make uh, that with beats. That's how I approach the story. Once you have the beats, you can focus on the scenes and in other uh, technical aspects, but the hard work, the tough work of, of telling the story is very much easier. Yeah. Now, you say once you have the beats. Um, so just for people who aren't familiar, uh, again, back maybe to Blake Snyder's intention, how many beats does he identify in, in the average story? Or these are particular points or turning events that seem to need to happen at a particular time, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, he mentioned uh, 15 beats. And that they're recognizable are, in all these films. Yeah, for example, at minute 12, approximately, in, in a Hollywood film, the character will get what Blake called a catalyst, which is a moment that, that changes his life in a slight way or maybe in a big way. It can be like a, a detective getting a, a, an assignment. Okay, you are a detective, but then something happens. You're getting an assignment. Are you going to accept it or not? This mm -hmm. is another bit. Blake called it the debate section, where you figure out how much that is going to change your life. Okay, and so we have the catalyst wait. beat, and then we have the 
debate. The debate beat. And you said the catalyst beat happens at 12 minutes. So that's a pretty precise target. <laughs> well, was, that's what Blake was insisting on. In my book, in, in Save the Cat Goes to the Indies, uh, it's about a different kind of cinema. In a Hollywood film, it, it happens at minute 12. Yeah. But my book is about European and independent film. So it's more flexible. It could happen a little earlier, it could happen a little late. But mm -hmm. the, the focus is the same. It's going to change the main character's life. So in the original book uh, that Blake started with this method, uh, he outlines these beats and describes them. But then I believe in that, I don't have that, uh, that particular book, but I believe he actually wrote what he perceived as the beats of these different films and described every, all of these different beats for each of these different films, right? For, I believe for 50 films, was it? Exactly. Yeah, in his second book, is Save the Cat Goes to the Movies, uh, he chose uh, 50 films, oh, okay. which so. he classified in 10 genres. Mm -hmm. And I've done the same, but with a different movie world. I mean, I've chosen 50 films, but from, uh, from uh, Little Miss Sunshine to uh, European films like uh, The Life of Others. Mm -hmm. So the two books are complementary. I've had um, books, uh, sorry, I, ha I have films by Quentin Tarantino, Mm -hmm. uh, such as Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. Mm -hmm. He had more mainstream stuff, but which people also like to write. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting. Uh, there is a big difference, obviously, in the, the big Hollywood blockbuster formula film versus the independent films that kind of break through. But um, one of the things I found fascinating in, in reading part of your book was that um, the genre, as as an audience thinks of genre, is one thing, but then when you started to apply an analysis of the beats, you might realize, here's the genre we're really talking about. Here's where this movie lies. And when you look at independent film, you mentioned, you referred to them as being kind of genre bending, more so than in uh, the Hollywood movies. Yeah, I think that's one of the differences that may interest readers and students and screenwriters, that uh, usually uh, Hollywood films, which they are easy to, uh, sorry, they are hard to make. I mean, if you are uh, an up-and-coming uh, screenwriter or if you are just starting to learn about the technique, they are very hard to do because they take so much money and, and it's, it's really a long, hard way to get mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a commercial film done. But today we have independent films and then we have HBO, we have uh, some online even platforms in which you can see smaller films which are easier to make mm -hmm. but the script has to be as good i mean if you write yeah. a mainstream hollywood film you write a small film they have to be good right <laughs> so with this method we tried to help them make it good mm -hmm. and then um i have a question for you i saw a french film recently and it was actually in french and subtitled in english but and i don't usually watch a film like that, especially late at night when I'm tired because I don't want to be bouncing my eyes back and forth to reading <laughs> and watching. But I found that I don't remember even ever reading any of the words, but I got the whole movie. Um, the movie was a film called Blind Date. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, I, I thought in turn when you mentioned genre blending, I thought one of the things that struck me about that film that I don't see in American cinema at all is they would go from what seemed like a fairly... Uh, dramatic romantic comedy into some sort of surreal dream sequences in and out 
and and it's like we wouldn't that wouldn't happen <laughs> you know it's yeah. breaking a rule but an independent film it's not yeah i think that sometimes what we could call outer films you know like really uh hardcore independent stuff mm -hmm. really small films from from uh that only can be seen in festivals and stuff can go uh, like too much it, it can be like too experimental mm -hmm. it can be like a too anti-mainstream mm -hmm. uh, but film is, is expensive media if you want to make films and if you want them to be a little popular uh, sorry popular mm -hmm. uh, then you have to make it easy for the audience mm -hmm. um, for me that is telling a classic story storyline but then shooting it uh, in film with uh, all the sophistication you want. Mm -hmm. but, well, yeah. Salva, I would like to give you a moment to catch your breath and maybe get a drink of water. And I'd like to play a song and then we'll come back from that song and um, we'll talk a little bit more about your book. I have a few questions for you that uh, I'm interested in finding more out about. So uh, I have a choice for you. Uh, based oh. on some of the things you had mentioned earlier, I have a Metallica song, if you're in the mood for Sandman. And I also have a song you mentioned, uh, or a band, Nirvana. I remember the first time I heard uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, what that did to me. It was such a different record. I was so, so surprised and impressed with that record. So I thought I'd let you pick between those two. What would you like to hear? Well, if you said Metallica, then the choice is easy. It's Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So here we are with uh, Metallica for the first time on the Auto D show with a song that was a big hit, Sandman. And I'll be back with my guest, Salva Rubio, in just a moment.
You're listening to Arodi, coming at you live. And that was Metallica with Sandman here on the Auto D Show, where I am your host, Otto Daniolo. And my guest this evening is Salva Rubio, author, who happens to be in Spain right now, and we're doing this little interview over Skype. So, Salva, do you remember that song? Does that feel good? Oh, yeah. It felt really, really good. It's a boost of energy. It's a fun one. Hey, listen, uh, let's talk about your book now a, a little yeah. bit more. I'm interested in, in how you originally met Blake Snyder and how you got involved because you're, in a sense, carrying forward a, a mantle that, uh, that's enviable probably for a lot of writers. Well, yes, thank you. I, I really met him in person uh like almost 10 years ago because i had just discovered his first book save the cat and uh, i was uh, as i was telling you before that was a game changer for me it was made so much easy to write and i was surprised to find almost by chance that he was coming to spain for a workshop Mm -hmm. uh to near barcelona so for me it was a change i couldn't miss so I took plane. <laughs> I, I went to Barcelona. The, and back in the day, I was living in Madrid, and uh, stayed there with him and I think with other ten writers at a mountains retreat. Mm-hmm. And we worked a lot. That had to he be a fascinating so time for you. Sorry. That had to be a fascinating experience for you. Yeah, because I mean, it was like the first uh, screenwriter uh, I I knew. I mean, like mm-hmm. uh, the first. Screenwriting for Hollywood, I met, and he was so generous, so positive, and so willing to to explain everything we were asked. So it was a really good influence to me. Mm-hmm. And so then um, you've been associated with the organization, the SaveTheCat.com is a website as well. And in fact, if we can just mention, uh, your book is available. Save the Cat Goes to the Indies is available on Amazon.com, and it's available for the Kindle. It's available on the website as well. Correct. Correct. And uh, we'll, I'll post those on my site as well. I have. I'll continue to uh, so can, people can have access to it and find it. But um, in writing this book, uh, it's a little bit different book than some of the other things you've written because rather than telling a story, you're almost teaching a lesson. You're kind of saying, well, let me evaluate this for you and show you how this works. Correct? Okay. It kind of seems like it, it's uh, teaching a lesson. So um, as you were going through, how did, you, well, how did you come about selecting which films you were going to put in your book? Well, I proposed, I first proposed to B.J. Uh, uh, Markle, uh, which uh, was the editor and a friend of Blake. Mm-hmm. I proposed him to write this book. and He was uh, very open to the idea. He asked told me, okay, show me what you can do. So I wrote a, ca- a chapter uh, with uh, films as uh, oh let me let me get back in time because it was a lot of time ago but I think it was was uh, lost in translation the 400 blows uh, three colors blue mm-hmm. okay I I analyzed some of these films mm-hmm. he was uh, very open to the idea of doing a new book on independent uh, European film uh, so I proposed him a list of films and uh, he loved most of them. Some others were too obscure for him. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with a list uh, we both liked, and I think it's pretty neat. And again, it's 50 films, correct? Yeah. <laughs> Those are a lot of films, but uh, Blake had done 50 before, and he has 10 genres, so it was like five films uh, per, uh, sorry, per genre. So... Uh, 
well, it was a lot of work, but I myself learned so much. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. What did you discover in the process of trying to uh, find the beats in each of these films? Well, I found that uh, it's a most interesting job. <laughs> I mean, it, for me, it's, it's like an enigma, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a mystery. You have the film, and as any any moviegoer, moviegoer, sorry, um, when I first see the film, it's, it's actually a little bit hard to see the, the beats because you're... Uh, so immersed in the story Correct. that sometimes you, you lose track of them. But if you really focus, okay, then you can see them really easy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, um, so I was yeah. wondering, what, what do you feel that you learned from that process uh, that you can now take to your screenwriting? Okay. Uh, um, especially I learned how to be fast. <laughs> I, mean, my, <laughs> my, I usually work fast. But uh, it's like a, a training, Olympic training or something like that, you know? It's like you have to uh, write the beat sheet of uh, 50 films and you have all the time you work, mm-hmm. the world, you, you have a, a deadline. But uh, now I can see them so easily mm-hmm. that my own work, when I have to beat one of my own stories, I can do it really fast and I'm really sure of what I'm, what I'm doing. So it's priceless. That's interesting because I would guess that before um, doing this, all of this evaluation work of these other films, that you might write a story, then step back and evaluate how the beats are falling and then edit from there. But I imagine now you almost start by making a list of your beats before you write your story. Has it changed yeah. the way you use it? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it starts even before because the book is about 10 genres which mm-hmm. also Blake uh, gave uh, funny different names, like a monster in the house would be like your uh, average uh, horror film. Right. And uh, Golden Fleece would be uh, a rough movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you start by figuring out your genre, uh, because they are not like uh, usual film genres, mm-hmm. like Western comedy or thriller. These genres are based on the kind of story you tell, not not the aesthetics or the look or, or right, the, right. the hat the characters are, are, are wearing. That's one of the things I thought was fascinating uh, in reading your book it was that the, the, the genre wasn't necessarily what I thought it was. It was it's, in a sense, based on uh, Save the Cat, the genre is determined by some aspects uh, relating to the beat sheet in a sense, relating to the story that I had never thought about. So you could think of it as a romantic comedy or, or whatever, but you find out it's a whodunit or a whydunit, you know, based oh, on that. That's already right. Like, uh, for example, you could have a film like Being Joe Malkovich, and then you have a film like uh, Fight Club, mm-hmm. uh, which looks so different, but for us, it's the same film. It's called an Out of the Bottle, and it, uh, it's about when you deal with some... A supernatural or surreal event that mm-hmm. is giving you like powers, mm-hmm. uh, different kind of powers, so it changes your reality. Yeah, I thought that was just fascinating how how uh, those genres were established for the book, and then how every film would fit in one or the other based on those elements. And I believe uh, Blake also broke the genres down into five subgenres or something. Is that accurate? There oh were... yeah, that's accurate. Uh, you can take, for example, a, a genre like Monster in the House, which is, uh, as I was telling you, Monster a horror film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you can have inside, you have the pure monster, in which the monster is, is like a supercharged beast of some kind, like a zombie. Uh, but then you can have the domestic monster, 
which is a horror film, which the, the characters are human, but somehow uh, are like so, so supernatural, like mm -hmm. uh, for example in Hard Candy or, or in the lives of others. And then you have the serial monster, supernatural monster, nihilist monster. So it can, it, it's not like you only have 10 genres. Actually, mm -hmm. you have 50. Yeah, it's pretty, so, pretty incredible way to, when you, when all of that is in your brain as a, as a writer, uh, it really helps you, I would think, stay focused on, on what you're trying to achieve and then makes it a little easier for somebody reviewing screenplays to, to receive and, and, and appreciate your work, doesn't it? Yeah, because it helps the reader, um, to identify the film, the kind of film they're watching. Because as, as we were saying, sometimes if you just write romantic comedy, okay, but um, you may be telling also a mystery story, <laughs> right. or you may be telling a, what we call a full triumphant, which is a, a genre in which uh, an um, underdog uh, unexpectedly wins something. No? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but it's still a romantic comedy for most of people, but for us, it's different because the storyline is, is uh, different. So I think it helps because you focus on the important elements of every genre. Mm -hmm. Every genre has at least three uh, important elements. If you work on them, then it, part of the tough work is, is done also. That's fascinating. And so now, when did this book officially uh, come out, your your new book, Save the Cat Goes to the Indies? When was that released? I think it was on the uh, 4th of April. I mean, uh, we started uh, talking about the book uh, at the last days of March, mm -hmm. but I think it was the 4th of April uh, when it was officially out, of and April. now people awesome. can buy it. Congratulations again on that. I think that's awesome. What else are you doing right now? I know that book, when you get a book done, you do a little bit of the PR like this, but I'm sure you're, you mentioned the one project that we can't talk about that you're doing, so that's exciting. But I, I believe you also, uh, do you teach or are you doing some speaking? Yeah, I teach, actually. Uh, I, I teach uh, every week um, graphic novel writing, which is basically like uh, screen writing, screenplay writing, sorry. But when you write comics, the good things is that you have uh, all the all the money in the world. I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you want to show uh, New York after a nuclear war uh, in in a in a film, well, that's expensive. If you just tell an artist to to draw it, well, it's not that expensive. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So it's easier to write the book, but harder to make the movie. Huh? Bring some oh, of the yeah. images to life. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, so I'm actually working on, on another graphic novel. Uh, it's an adaptation of a novel by a Spanish writer. Uh, finish, uh, recently finished a, a comedy screenplay, what we would call a body love story. Okay. <laughs> um, the, and for those who don't uh, know I'm the book, that's, that's, a genre, that's a genre, right? Yeah, yeah, the body love is body, another yeah. of our dinners. Well, that's exciting. So you've got a lot going on. Uh, I got, sorry? You have a lot going on, a lot of things, uh, uh, a lot of things going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, well, living as a writer in Spain is hard, <laughs> but uh, if you do enough things, if you just release books and you do graphic novels, you teach, then you can make a living of that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm happy with my life. Well, I think that's exciting, and uh, it's fantastic to hear that you're happy with your life. I think that's probably number one goal. 
Um, and mm. I think uh, you are probably now being approached by an awful lot of uh, up-and-coming screenwriters for your advice outside of class, outside of your teaching. Do you find a lot of people contacting you? Because, for example, I was kind of surprised in your book you invite people to reach out to you and you put your email address. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. Well, I'm following uh, tradition, Bob Lake. He mm-hmm. was by far the most open and generous person I've met. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was awfully busy, but he always had time to answer people's emails uh, with uh, help and uh, with uh, recommendations, you know. So I thought I had to honor that tradition. Mm-hmm. So uh, I hope to be as, as generous as and open as he was. So uh, that's, that's like one personal goal. I think that's awesome. I think that's really, really fantastic. So let me ask you one last question about the book. Did you have a favorite uh, beach sheet to write when you were when you were watching all of these movies? Was there, I guess maybe it's a two part question. Was there one you were really looking forward to the most, and which one was the biggest surprise for you to discover its beat? Okay. Well, most of my these films are my favorites, so it's, uh, ah, okay. it's like the toughest question in the okay. <laughs> today. But uh, I would say the toughest was maybe uh, Cinema Paradiso because okay. it's a very long film. It's a three-hour film. Mm-hmm. And so the beats are not located in the usual minutes that mm-hmm. you could find them. So it gets a little harder, but it also shows that, okay, you can write a longer film if you want, uh, which is not the standard in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, my personal favorite, I think it's a French film called Three Colors Blue, by Christoph Kieslowski. It was a really important film in the in the 90s here. And uh, it really opened my mind to a new kind of, of film when I was uh, a youngster. When you were a what? A youngster. A teen. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, great. I, I missed that, sorry. Uh, well, that's, that's all great. Hey, do you have plans to come back to the States in the near future? I would really like to. I'm uh, thinking of going there this year, but I have to check my my, my work schedule. If I can find like uh, if I can free up a month, uh, I would really like to go to LA. I was gonna say come a little farther, come past New York out to the West Coast. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you have to come and see Carol, right? So Carol's out in Beverly Hills, and then uh, and by the way, thanks to Carol for hooking us up for this interview. And uh, I would love to visit with you when you come. Oh, I'd love to meet you guys, of course. So it would be a lot of fun. And, and I want to thank you uh, again. I think we're going to wrap up here, but I want to thank you so much for your time. I know it's late in Spain, and we were doing this a little early today. But um, last thought, I guess, is what's the easiest way for people to reach you? Okay. Uh, I have a personal website, which is salvarubio.info. Um, people can feel free to follow me on my social media. I think I am in any platform. Or they can, if they feel curious, if they think they can like it, they can buy the book. My email address is there. <laughs> it is. Along with uh, 50 wonderful uh, analysis of films, which I think people are going to love. Yeah, it's a fascinating concept to even think to wrap around uh, your movie watching experience. And I really enjoy uh, your, your writing style uh, and language style as well. It's not formal. It's very informal. And uh, I, I appreciate that. It makes it very enjoyable to read. And so just Thank so you. for people who don't uh, understand, the spelling of your name, S-A-L-V-A, Salva, Rubio, R-U-B-I-O. And uh, Google away. You'll find him on Facebook, Instagram, and all over the place. So Salva, yeah. thank you so much for your time. 
Well, thanks to, to you, Otto, and to your listeners for having me. It's been a great experience, actually. As I was telling you, it's my first uh, radio interview. Well, I'm honored um, to I, be the I, one. I had so, so much fun. I'm honored to be the one. And I wish you great success with your book. I'm uh, going to spread the word. Thank you. All right, you take care now. Have a great night. Thanks to you. Bye-bye. Bye.